I wonder if this is your creed. I believe in gold, treasure almighty, basis of fortune on earth, and in greedy might, the only force that truly works. I believe in owning shares, the extension of credit, the retention of gain, the reclamation of debt, and in life without fasting. I believe in money. I wonder if that's your creed. The truth is that greed is a religion with millions of devoted worshippers, particularly in our own country, Australia. There are many followers of the religion of greed. Brian Rosner, who is the principal of Ridley College, says this about greed, quote, The driving motivation of greed, this religion, is our need to find security and confidence in a dangerous and uncertain world. Many people are are afraid of their lives and what could happen unless they store up much treasures in earth in order to gain some form of control and security over their lives. Greed. This is the issue at hand in Malachi today. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, we see that, that true repentance requires the abandonment of greed and the restoration of radical generosity. Only then does true faith begin to flourish as people depend more on God, particularly with their finances. And so I'd like to pray as we open up this scripture together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together for this time of worship where we come before you in Christ and offer you pleasing sacrifices of praise. And we do pray that as we hear your word, that you may pierce our hearts, bringing true transformation according to the way of Jesus Christ. In particular, Lord, teach us about true stewardship, generosity, using our finances for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And so you can see in your bulletin that we have our opening title, Robbing God. Malachi tells us that the people of Israel were, first of all, descendants of Jacob, verse 6. But they were not just descendants of him in bloodline. As we read this scripture, we see that they were also descendants of Jacob, this outrageous character in the Bible, in his nature and attitude. Like Jacob, the people of God were, in other words, cheats. But even though the people continue to rebel against God and slander him by their ways, God did not change. His love for them remained loyal despite their changing ways. Out of his unchanging love, God never abandoned his rebels Israel. Out of his love, he sent prophets to call the people to, quote, return to him, verse 7. But when the people heard such a prophet as Malachi call them to return to the Lord, instead of obeying the call, they persisted in their selfish, Jacob-like scheming. With hypocritical self-justification, they acted as if they were unaware of any shortcomings in their own behaviour. They were completely self-righteous 
and blinded to their own spiritual condition. And we've read this right through the book of Malachi. The people are so spiritually blind. They are complacent. They are indifferent to the things of God. And again, we see it here in the text. And you might be thinking, this is like the 13th sermon on Malachi, and they're still the same. And yes, they are. They are still the same. They have this spiritual condition, which is completely bankrupt before God, literally also because they're not even giving to the Lord. The people of Israel remind me of those who evade the truth by saying things like, in a negative way, define your terms, or what do you mean by that? And one scholar says this about this scheming um, people of Israel, quote, there are times when we ask honest questions of God in a humble, contrite and earnest way, but here the people of God have a very different spirit. This is resistant questioning questioning that is designed to deflect God delay obedience and possibly even impute blame to God they justified themselves by claiming ignorance of any conduct flaws that called for repentance and their questioning of God was a means to push him away they didn't want to recognize that they had a spiritual problem. But despite their attempt to deflect the truth, Malachi, the prophet, did not hesitate to tell them how to return to God. Even though they're deflecting, saying, we're good. Malachi saying, no, you're not. And here's why. Look with me at verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And here's the answer. Ready? In tithes and offerings. Simply put, Israel robbed God by failing to give back a tenth from what God had given them. A mere tenth. That's all God asked for. And they were unable to give anything from the prosperity that God had given them back to him. Only when we steal something from someone that is theirs can it be called robbery. And God is clearly stating that the tithe of Israel is his property. If the tithe belongs to him, and we use that 10% of our income for ourselves, according to Malachi, what else can it be called? According to God, withholding our generous offerings is divine robbery that leads to societal decay. And that's what we're seeing in Israel, societal decay. I'd like you to also consider the time of Nehemiah. And you might like to turn to chapter 13 of Nehemiah. The unfaithful in his day likewise neglected the tithe. By disobeying the law of God in this way, the people deprived the temple ministry um, the priests of what it needed to keep on going. And I read this in Nehemiah 13 verse 10. It says this, I learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. The people had vowed to bring their tithes, chapter 10 verses 34 to 39 of Nehemiah, but they did not keep their vow. This forced the priests and the musicians 
the shepherds of the people to abandon their vocation and to provide for their families in other ways. In other words, because they could no longer fully focus on the ministry of preaching about the promises of God, the law of God, the goodness of God, because they weren't given space and time to be able to do that, because they couldn't afford to live this lifestyle, they actually had to abandon the ministry and go back to the fields to make a wage. And that took them away from the care of souls. And what happens when there's no care of souls? Societal decay. And it begins in the church begins in the family and when the church and the family is weak the society is weak and so this forced the priests to return to the fields to make an income and so we're learning a lesson here since we too are called to steward the work of the gospel even today the question for us to consider on a practical note is this and this is the question and it's a hard question But here's the question. Are we too robbing God with our finances? Please know that like OT times, when we bring our financial gifts, Jesus sees it also as an act of worship and faithfulness to him. Consider the words of Paul the Apostle, and he talks a lot about giving. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says this, quote, On the first day of every week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He's saying, put aside a percentage of your income for the service of the gospel. This enables the gospel to continue. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 8, verse 7 says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The grace of God transforms our hearts so much so that he calls giving a grace that flows from the gospel. Many Christians feel that if believers under the old covenant brought their tithes, how should Christians under the new covenant begin with anything less? In fact, the generosity Jesus expected from his disciples, I would say, was far greater than a tithe. Yes, a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Discipleship to Jesus demands not only our life, but everything we own. Even in the early chapters of Acts, people were selling their homes in order to support the ministry of the gospel. I'm not saying that you have to do that now, but there's a principle that when we come to Christ, we bring our whole wallets and we say, Lord, sanctify this wallet. Make it be used for your gospel ministry, not only here locally, but afar throughout the world. Discipleship to Jesus demands our life, our all. 
And I love that hymn, Take My Life, let it be consecrated to you, Lord, thee. Let me give everything to you, Lord. Therefore, even though tithing is not a command in the New Testament per se, it does not follow that believers should hoard their possessions to themselves. When we turn to Christ Jesus, we surrender not only our soul, but all our treasures to him, so much so that they now belong to Christ. Our property, our jobs, our wages are no longer, primarily speaking, for our own gain. These gifts of grace are now transformed and repurposed, first of all, for mission. For example, our work is transformed from a place of mainly making a wage into a strategic mission field. Paul's ministry strategy for the early church was work. Get out there in the community and live as faithful Christians in your workplaces. That is where evangelism happens. Also, our property. Our property is now used as a tool for radical hospitality and personal evangelism. Have people over. That is one of the most strategic ways you can break the ice with an unbeliever and share the stories of your own personal testimonies and how God is transforming your life. God has given you an estate that can be used for the advancement of the gospel. And thirdly, our money. Our money is now used as a means to plant new churches and to support global missions. For a pastor, my theological library is not just mine. It can be used for all those who would like to grow and understand more about the gospel. My, the point I'm making is that when we come to Christ, we also give up our belongings to him. Since Christ Jesus is our ultimate treasure, believers are to give freely to his work. For many in the West, this rich country which we call Australia, this will mean maybe giving more than 10% to support gospel ministry, if we have the capacity. And that's my challenge that I just want to put out there today. You don't have to follow that 10% and just say, I'm giving 10%. If you have the capacity to give more, awesome, give cheerfully to the ministry of the gospel. And so here's some questions I'd like you to consider. Do you belong to Jesus? I suspect many will say, yes. Now the harder question, does your wallet belong to Jesus? Does your credit card belong to Jesus? Does your bank account belong to Jesus? Does your home belong to Jesus? When Christ sanctifies our wallet and repurposes it for mission, we begin to live for the eternal treasures of heaven rather than the temporary things of earth, primarily, primarily speaking. Let me ask another question. Do you pray about your offerings? Do you ignore the giving announcement? Do you give with great generosity? When we give freely by faith, we begin to bear fruit that lasts. And therefore, the kingdom of God begins to grow. Investing into the kingdom is the greatest investment that you could ever make. And so do you give with great generosity? 
At the present moment, at, in time, our church has 150 regular worshippers and are at high risk of being in a $10,000 deficit by the end of the year. The reasons for this deficit is due to rapidly ageing buildings, a 750 per month increase in insurance bills, and the general rise of living costs. In addition to this concern, it's estimated that the average pastor can only have a strong pastoral relationship with roughly 100 to 150 people. Some even say only 80. Since we are at 150 regular worshippers right now with one staff member, this means that our growth is likely to plateau unless we drastically increase our giving to maintain not only my role and by God's grace, new roles into the future. But there's good news. If every household with one pensioner or full-time worker gave at least 10%, I have estimated that we would triple or even quadruple our current giving in our church. And that would pave the way for a bright, healthy future. And so if you are giving wholeheartedly to the work of the gospel, I want to encourage you to keep on giving with joyful affection. God loves a cheerful what? Giver. And so if you are giving and you're trusting God with your finances, praise God. Continue to give. May God increase your heart of generosity. May he continue to instill in your heart a desire to see the kingdom of God grow. Keep on giving. And be encouraged to continue to do that work because you are storing up treasures in heaven. But if you're someone unconcerned about giving, maybe you have the attitude, others will give in the church and I can just sit back and consume. I encourage you to be wise. Maybe this might require you to simplify your life and ask God to give you the courage to surrender your finance to him. And so the the first um, title in this talk is Robbing God. I'd like to also say that when we rob God, we also begin to rob ourselves. And so in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, the prophet revealed the problem of robbing God by withholding our offerings from him. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, the prophet now shows us that we not only rob God when we fail to give, but we also rob ourselves of his very blessings. Therefore, if the people of Israel rekindle their love and trust in God, evidenced by their generous giving, God will pour out four, at least four, marvellous blessings on his people. Now, I just want to say as a disclaimer, I don't affirm the prosperity gospel However, God does necessarily bless faithfulness. And so while we might give lots of money to support ministry, that does not necessarily mean that God will bless it. But it often means that God will bless it. Does that make sense? The word is often. When we're faithful, God often blesses us, but not always like the prosperity teachers say. So keep that in mind. What are these four blessings? Blessing one, abundance. God promises to supply all the needs of his people if they give tithes and offerings. Verse 10 says, the floodgates of heaven will be 
thrown open. Just think about that image of God just unleashing blessing upon blessing upon the people of Israel. God loves to give to his faithful. They will not know where to store such a mammoth harvest. The people of God will encounter the incredible generosity of God if they truly repent and return to him, evidenced by their life of faithfulness. The second blessing is this, protection. In seasons of blessing, a great harvest was a risk of being snatched away due to things like pests um, and diseases. Sometimes plants would get issues. So you could see a great harvest on your property, but then you say, well, it's all diseased and it's now useless. But God promises a blessing which cannot be snatched away. If they're faithful, God will protect them from things like mice plagues and all the diseases that can come upon a harvest field. And so this blessing will be a blessing that is fully secure. Number three, the blessing of reputation. If the people return to God with all their hearts, God's blessing will restore their global national reputation. Verse 12. Israel has often gone about attempting to repair their public image for themselves, their prosperity for themselves, things like marrying strange wives, as we learned recently. But God advises them to focus on serving Him alone, and He will rebuild their reputation. And finally, the big, big blessing, blessing for certainty. Wholehearted faithfulness to God can appear to be a very risky business for those who do not know God. But God challenges the people of Israel to, quote, test him. Verse 10. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And so what's the test? The test is give. If you give, be assured, Israel, I will open the floodgates of heaven and provide so much blessing, you will not know what to do with it. This is a certain blessing, Israel. If you are faithful with your tithe, you will be blessed, says the Lord. And so the financial state of Israel was already rocky, for Israel was under a curse, verse 9. So to offer the whole tithe would involve some real faith. But if they had the faith to step out in the promises of God and put themselves in this vulnerable position, then God would definitely keep his word. God would open up the floodgates of heaven and display outrageous generosity. All doubt about trusting God would be dispelled they would see God's response and conclude, quote, God does love us and keep his word to those who are faithful. So what is our lesson? Well, whenever we rob God, and this is a principle, we often rob ourselves of his blessings. Remember that key word, often. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm saying that when we are faithful, God often blesses that faithfulness. And so whenever we rob God, we often rob ourselves of his blessings. And to begin with, we rob ourselves of the spiritual blessings that flow from our faithfulness. The faithful life is a blessed life. Not only from a financial perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. And so here's some final encouragements and warnings for you today. 
the encouragement is that those who practice radical generosity will often be blessed by God. Paul says clearly this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God blesses our generosity. But there's also a warning for us today. God has many ways to collect our offerings. Either we give them to him in a spirit of gladness of heart, or God takes it in other ways. In fact, there's a story of a church with 150 members. The pastor asked the treasurer of the church, how many of these members give regularly to support the ministry of the church? The treasurer said in reply, 150. About 50 of them gave to God voluntarily and God took what belonged to them in another way. (laughs) The offerings that belong to God that we keep for ourselves do not always stay with us. If it often ends up going to the doctor, the mechanic, or even the tax collector. And I have a confession to make, guys. I had a hard financial month last month. This is my confession to you. And I said, I said I'll just give more next month. And so I withdrew my giving that month. I know it's not a very good model at all. The day I decided to do that, <laughs> I drove past the speed camera. And I picked up my phone. And on that very date, I just got a bill sent to my home, which says that I have a $400 um, bill to pay because I had my phone in my hand when I was driving. And I was like, ouch. And I was preparing this sermon, and I was like, ouch. God took what I typically, typically would give and through a different means because of my lack of faith that month. And so I encourage you to to give generously. Those who do not give in faith, therefore, could find themselves under a curse like Israel. And that curse is severe. Verse 9 says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. But do not be dismayed by this warning. If every Christian took up the call to practice radical generosity, I'm convinced that we could truly change the world. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He's a commentator. He says, quote, When we lay up treasures in heaven, they pay rich dividends for all eternity. I love that. Let us then make it our great duty to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What I mean by that, let us make it our great duty to steward what God has given us well. Our homes, our finances, whatever God gives us, may we steward what God gives us well. But through radical generosity, God is honoured and his church is truly blessed. I wholeheartedly believe that. And so please be encouraged today to continue to offer not only your whole body, but all that God has given you as a pleasing offering to God, a means of worship to him. And God will be very thankful because God loves a cheerful giver. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this teaching on Malachi. And we do pray that you will help us to be wise with what you have given us. May you form us into great stewards like your son, who is willing to not only give up 
his time, but his whole life dying on a cross for our rebellion. This is the greatest act of generosity. And as we look to Christ, may we too carry our own crosses of self-denial as we seek to live this life of radical generosity like our Saviour King. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.